All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, let's open them up to uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. Uh, Luke, is, so if you make your way to the New Testament, you'll go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you hit Revelation, you went too far. Uh, and so take a left, and you eventually you'll find it. Uh, so, so a couple, I guess it was about two months ago, uh, we were up here uh, through the uh, creepy curtain up the spooky stairs, uh, on a Wednesday night with the teens, and, and Swine was teaching, and, and one of the things he did to open uh, that session was he handed everybody a post-it note, and he said, I want you to write a question that you have about God, and he said, pretty much any question you have uh, is, should be on the table, no matter if it's silly, no matter if it's serious, no matter what, whatever it is, and, and as he uh, as the teens wrote the qu- their questions down, they handed it in, and, and he would read the ones that, uh, so he would read some of them. Uh, some of them are written by junior high boys, and so, uh, as you can imagine, uh, probably not very appropriate for the setting. Um, but but as, he was, as he was teaching, uh, he, he used this post-it ultimately uh, to, to talk about how your worldview shapes your questions, uh, and then really the questions and the answers to those questions will reveal themselves in the fruits of your life. And it, was, it was a great lesson. In fact, it had, a, had an illustration with a tree and a trunk and, a, and, and some, um, what do we call it, leaves? There we go. Uh, if I'm drawing a blank on leaves, it's going to be a long morning, folks. Um, but, but I remember uh, one question in particular that he read that I, I thought was incredible. Uh, and, and the question was, was this, is it okay to be on the fence of the world and God while learning about God? Now, I'll, I'll repeat it. Uh, is it okay to be on the fence of the world and God while learning about God? Now, these are, these are some of the reasons I love getting to serve our teens, uh, because uh, they will, they have a filter that's not as, uh, and I think for their benefit, it's not as developed as some of us adults, right? Uh, because there's a lot of us that, that even though we might experience that tension in our hearts of, of man, okay, I want to do life God's way, but I also kind of want to do life my way. Uh, and so which is, is it okay to wonder which one of those two things are going to bring us to the place that we ultimately want to end up? And one of the things, one of the reasons why I love uh, serving our teens, because because they get to, we get to bring those to the table, and we get to say, hey, yeah, that's it's okay to feel that way. It's okay to bring those kind of questions to the table. And, and I remember two months ago when uh, that question was brought up, uh, not ironically, but coincidentally enough, my mind went exactly to Luke seven uh, verse eighteen, and in the passage that we're going to be in. Today now I didn't realize in the moment that oh that sounds like a Luke seven eighteen kind of thing because I haven't memorized all the Bible. Uh, in fact, I haven't memorized seven eighteen. That's pretty much the only place. Um, but but my mind went there. Now if you've been with us these past couple weeks, you'll remember we're in chapter seven where there's there's five meet and greets. Really, it's four meet and greets, but we'll we'll talk about that more next week. But but what we've seen are these people who have these encounters with Jesus, and then we get to watch as he moves in their lives, and he does incredible things. And, and so we started with 
seeing Jesus being amazed by the faith of the centurion as we talked about the authority that Jesus walks around in. Uh, last week we saw uh, Jesus respond to the grief of a widow as he brings her son back to life. Today we're going to bring in a conversation from a, a, a man that we would typically think, ah, he probably has it all together. Uh, he probably has no questions about God. As doubt is brought into the conversation right up at the footsteps, uh, right at the feet of Jesus. And then we'll talk about, really this is kind of a two-parter, because next week we're going to pay attention to what Jesus says about the guy who brings the question to the table as we see that Jesus exalts the lowly uh, and then we'll finish the end of the week by the, the end of chapter 7 by exploring uh, how Jesus is the savior to really what people would consider the biggest sinners uh, and now now our desire and we said this last week that that our desire for walking so slowly through chapter 7 is so that we could have an accurate view of who Jesus is uh, and now this morning, as we talk about him being the Messiah or not being the Messiah, as that's the question brought to the table, what we get to walk away from is, is knowing that Jesus is the Savior and the Lord of our lives, who we cherish as the King of our hearts. That's really all we know. That, and when someone says, who is Jesus to you? My prayer is that we take a biblical approach to living, that we would be able to say, he's the Savior and the Lord of my life, who I cherish as the King of my heart. So wherever he says to go, I go. Whatever he says to do, I do. Because I believe in faith that wherever God leads me, that is the healthiest and the most peaceful and the most joy-filled place I can be, even in the midst of what we'll find today, troubling circumstances. So, so, so Jesus is, is more than a teacher, more than a healer, more than a miracle worker. What we'll see today, um, and not what we'll see today, what we will bring to the forefront today, is that he is the Messiah. He is the expected king who would redeem and who would reign forever. Okay, so, so verse 17, we ended there last week as Jesus uh, interrupts a funeral, right, um, by ending it in the sense that he brought the person back to life. Again, it's hard to have a funeral when the person's no longer dead, right? And so, so verse 17 ended, and this report about him, Jesus, spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. You think? You think? Like, hey, did, did you hear that one about the guy who brought a guy back to death? And you're like, well, what's the punchline? There isn't any. Like, literally, he spoke, and this guy came back to death. And so this starts to spread all around. And this is where we go. Verse 18. And the disciples of John reported all these things to him. Okay? Now, not, not Jesus, but to John. Okay? And John, calling two of his disciples, sent to him, Jesus, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Okay? Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, this is important because these are disciples of John. Now, the John we're referring to is John the Baptist, and now he's a, he was a major player. If you remember, when we started our journey through the Gospel of Luke, 
John is a major player in the first three chapters. In fact, as we were spending our time walking through it, uh, we would almost each week alternate between episodes. Uh, it's like you would, we would have an episode with John, then we'd have an episode uh, with Jesus. And, and so, so he is brought into the story of God as he breaks the silence of God that had been resting over the people for about 400 years. So God is silent at the end of Malachi for 400 years. And then an angel speaks to John's dad and says, you're about to have a son. And he is going to be a big deal. In fact, Jesus will tell us next week that, that there is not a man born of woman more important than John the Baptist. Okay? Now, I mention that because, because I want us to understand that, that even the most mature of the Christians can still find themselves in this season of doubt. So, so John comes along and he's given this title as the forerunner of Christ. Like his job was to herald the king is coming. The Messiah is here. The Messiah is here. And so, so he walked in and his arrival is significant and his method is unique. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit. As, uh, and then he's given this privilege of, of baptizing Jesus. And now, now someone so significant, it may seem strange that they would ask this kind of a question. Are you the one or should we keep looking? Now, there might be a part of John's story you're unaware of. And that's because when we were in chapter 3 um, last with him, uh, it was like, I don't know, 1998. I, it's been such a long time ago. So where we left Luke was Luke chapter 3, verse 18. And here's what it says. After he baptizes Jesus, he preaches this, this gospel of repentance. Repent from your sins. In fact, we, we, we talked about how ironic it was that the message of John and the message of Jesus are the exact same thing. But yet somehow we think he's the crazy guy on the, the corner, you know, screaming at you in downtown. And somehow Jesus is like, hey man, we're cool, let's talk about it. And they both preach the exact same gospel. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So he comes in, and this is what it said in Luke chapter 3, verse 18. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, and he locked John up in prison. Okay? So, so John, in fact, if you, if you want a fuller treatment of, of this scene, you can go to Matthew chapter 14. And so, so here we have a man who served God faithfully. That he went out to the desert, and as he preached, people came, and as they came, he baptized them, and he said words that were hard to hear, and he stood in the face of opposition, and he called people to repent from their sins, but now he's in prison, and life has not turned out the way he expected. I don't know if you can relate to that, but here he says, this isn't the way in fact, the, the late great pastor, reformed pastor, uh, 
uh, R.C. Sproul put it this way, that John the Baptist had been prepared of God for a dynamic ministry of preparation and for the announcing of the kingdom of God. And then all of a sudden he's taken out of action and he's thrown into a prison cell and he's suffering from isolation. He's in abject misery. Surely he would have been uh, asking these questions. What am I doing in this prison? When is Jesus going to make his move? How can Jesus allow the power of Herod to be greater than his? Let's, I think we can identify with a question like that. How can Jesus allow the power of Herod to be greater than his that I as a prophet should be left here alone. Again, maybe maybe you you've asked similar questions and maybe weren't the exact same words, but but are you the one or should we keep waiting? Because all my expectations, all my hopes, all my dreams are in you. And in this pocket of time, I don't see it playing out the way I expect it. I don't. And, and I think as doubt arises, we, we can identify with John in, in the process, right? There's, there's a process when, when doubt shows up. And, and firstly, uh, doubt typically arises in difficult situations, right? And that's nothing new to you. If you struggle with doubt, when you struggle with the goodness of God in your circumstance, that, that, that John is here, he's in trouble for doing the right thing, and he thinks, how can I be the forerunner if I can't run? How can I do that? How can I, how can I proclaim the goodness of God while I am in chains? And, and, and now doubt rarely is bedfellows with seasons of peace and joy. That it takes, it takes pressure. For doubt to creep in. Now, that's not to say that doubt wasn't already there. It just means that it was hidden beneath the surface. And so as life starts to press, doubt rises. And it says, I want you to see me because I am the most urgent and the most important thing you're dealing with. And what we're going to find is that actually is a lie of doubt. Then, Then secondly, doubt will surround unmet expectations. Right? This is, hey God, this is not how I would have written these chapters. God, I would have, I would have microwaved this season of my life to be, to make sure it wrapped up before I went to bed. I don't want to wake up the next morning with yesterday's problems. And so what happens is we look to Him and we say, we say, God, you're, you're not meeting an expectation of mine, which really the root of that is if you really cared about me, I wouldn't be here. And I don't know if you've been honest enough with God to ask this question, but but typically what follows is, is either you are unwilling to care for me or you're incapable of caring for me. Okay, and I think think John sends his guys to ask this question because John can't ask them himself. Jesus, either, either you're unwilling to care for me or you're incapable. So, so tell me, are you the one or should I keep waiting? Should I keep waiting? And I think this is ultimately what, what doubt says. God, either you're good or you're not. And we typically will say you're good in the, when the circumstances are 
beneficial to us. And then we'll say, God, are you good when the circumstances are not beneficial to us? And then what, lastly, the challenge with doubt is that it limits your perception, right? So, so typically, this is, this is where I see um, the situation that's causing the doubt is the loudest in my life. It's, it's when you lay up at night, and you, then you wake up at like 2 o'clock in the morning, and it's the immediate thought that you have, right? I'm not the only one. And you come in, and it seems loudest, and it's trying to convince you that it's most urgent. And, and what happens is, is God has promised to move amongst his people. God has promised to be a refuge in time of trouble. He has promised to be our safe haven in all circumstances. And so here's where I land, and hopefully this is helpful to you. That faith and doubt can find room in the same heart. It can. John's proven this. Okay? And then, then pay attention because what Jesus is going to do is so beautifully helpful to us. So your faith and your doubt can find room in the same heart. That you can be a wonderful servant of God, yet still have these moments of, of, of seasons or seasons of intense doubt. That, that doubt is not the enemy of faith. In fact, doubt... I think it's possible that doubt is the evidence of a faith that exists, but it's just lying on the ground bleeding for a little while. That's what it is. Or else you'd make decisions and you'd be like, well, yeah, he's not the one. I'm going to go wait for another. But John says, Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm lying here. And I'm on the ground and I'm bleeding. And I just need to know Am I going to get back up? So doubt, the evidence of a faith that exists, but it's just possible that's lying and bleeding. And, and now the, someone might ask, how do we know that? How do you know that? Well, look at, look at Jesus' response here, verse 20. And when the men had come to him, Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we uh, look for another? Now, pay attention to these next few words of verse 21, because it's so, so great. In that hour, okay, so when? In that hour, okay, Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight, and he answered them. Okay, so imagine this scene. They come in and they say, hey, uh, Jesus, John told me to ask you, are you the one uh, or shall we keep waiting? And I swear to you, in my mind, Jesus cracks a smile and says, watch this. And for the next hour, healing and healing and healing and exorcism and healing and sight returning to the blind. And then as the boss that he is, he looks at the disciples and he says, tell John these words. Go and tell John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. It's as if John's disciples come in and Jesus says, I'm going to gift John with something so special. 
Just watch. Now imagine if this scene, as it looks like it's playing out, I don't think Jesus is like, well, maybe I can do two birds, one stone thing here. The benefit of all these that these other people have, because Jesus is tender to John in this moment. He stops and he says, go tell John what, what just happened here. Because here's what Jesus knows. There's not, there's not another Messiah who can do those things. He knows that. He knows he is the one. He is the one we've been waiting for. He says, in that hour, he does these things. And it, this, this moment takes us back to Luke chapter 4. If you remember, again, back in like 1984, right? Uh, Luke chapter 4, Jesus is going to begin his, his earthly ministry. And he does so by going to a church service. And he's going to read, and he reads out of the, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. It's, it's the 61st chapter for us, but for them it was just a scroll. And he finds this spot, and he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And again, like the boss he is, with all eyes on him, he goes and sits down, and then he says, Today these words have been fulfilled in your hearing. So from, John, from Luke 4 to Luke 7, all we have seen is simply that happening. That's what we've seen. So today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And here's, here's what we find the key of what to do when we are in doubt. When our doubt collides with the movement of God in our situations. Because, because now, we can, we can doubt each other and not end up in a good place. Like, like, we fail one another frequently. I'm reminded of that all the time. That we can be insensitive, we can, we can make promises that we don't keep, we can, we can be rude and short-tempered, we can, we can do these things, and we can let one another down. But the topic that we're talking about here isn't, I, I wonder if my boss, or I doubt my boss has my best interest at heart. We're taking this to the highest level. John's saying, Jesus do I trust you with my life? That's the doubt that we're wrestling with here. And what we're going to find is because God is faithful in this major area, He is faithful in all others. Okay? So there's not a doubt that we bring to the table if we are found in Christ because of what Jesus says here. And I think, so this is, this is where we find a place to go that when... When our doubt in God collides with the movement of God in our situations. So, so let's ask this question. What does Jesus tell John to do with his doubt? He says, look to the evidence of what Jesus is doing. Right? Are you the one or should we keep waiting? And Jesus tells his, the disciples to tell John, hey, look what you have just seen happen. These were, what I'm doing today is what the Bible has said for centuries the Messiah would do. For centuries. Long before Jesus' arrival on earth, this is what was said about his movement. 
So, so, so Jesus, this is, this is what I love, because I love the tenderness of Jesus in this moment. Now, he's not always tender. He's always loving, but he's not always tender. But we would expect, and maybe because this is your experience, Jesus to be all up in arms. John? He's doubting me? Right? Then you expect a rebuking, and you expect him to just lean in. And, and what Jesus does is he assures John with evidence. Matthew chapter 12, verse 20 says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. And John's being honest in this moment with Jesus. I'm in pain. I'm afraid as to what will happen to me. Are you the one I trust with my life? So now we talk about application, right? What do, what do we do when doubt enters the conversation? What, what do we do when we say, okay, I'm, I'm struggling because I have a desire for the world, but I also have a desire for you, God. What do I do about that? How do I reconcile that? And the solution to that question is simply this, that we look at the evidence to what Jesus is doing. You look to him. That, that when doubt shows up, you don't, you don't let it linger. You question it. You interrogate it. You demand that it would explain itself. And in doing this, you have a better chance of seeing in a bigger way what Jesus is doing and the glory that's being revealed around you. Every time, I'm telling you, every time you see this. That, that if the scope of your sight is, is just the circumstance of the season, your doubt will keep you trapped. It will. In fact, but if you're willing to explore what's behind the doubt, if you, are, if you are able to see the movement and the promises of Jesus, you're going to find these promises of his care for us. We're going to find how he proclaims justice over us and he gives good news to us. You're going to find how he sets uh, us free and he recovers our sight. You're going to see how he sets at liberty and proclaims God's favor over us. And then the Lord adds this word of encouragement. And, and this is one of the places, this isn't the last place we're going to land, but it's so important. Go back, verse 23. And blessed is the one, it's fine, we can start wrapping this up. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I don't think it's a rebuke. I think it's an encouragement. I think he looks at John and he says, John, keep believing, man. Keep believing. In the end, you will be blessed. You will be made happy in God. And now here's the thing. Here's the thing, and it's important we know this. John doesn't leave that prison with his head. Like, like, Putting his head on a silver platter, I want that head on a silver platter, from John's life, that's where we get that phrase. Because he ends up beheaded. But he also ends up blessed with God. We're going to see, we're going to see that played out. Jesus knowing what awaits John, looks at him and he says, John, blessed are the ones who don't 
fall away from me. Keep believing that Jesus blesses those who continue to believe in him, even if they experience some doubt along the way. What, what a tender and compassionate Lord. So, so do, do you have doubt? And you say, well, I don't know if I want these people to know that I have doubt. I do. I doubt myself multiple times a day. I've had a week where I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know if, if I'm any good at any of the categories that I'm responsible for being in. And I don't, I don't say that for you like, oh, poor guy. No, I'm just saying, this is, this is where I'm at. And God's been tender, and he's been merciful, and he says, look to the evidence of what I'm doing around you. Look to the fruit that is coming. So if you have doubts, you can safely bring them to Jesus. If you have questions, you can raise them in the scriptures. You, you realize you can do that, right? It takes a lot less energy to open the Bible than it is to try to figure it out on your own. I really, I really dislike the, the strain of, of Christian teaching that demands we never doubt or question God. I really dislike it. Always have. Because if, if we get to run to the Father... We can think of these moments with our kids when they bring questions to the table and it just lights you up to explain truth to them. And here's what we know about our kids. They barely know anything. Right? I say that as a former kid who thought I knew everything. So I don't, I don't like this strain of thinking that, hey, you can't, bring a question or you can't bring a doubt to God because the Lord is the kind of Messiah who doesn't simply talk about being the Messiah. He'll prove it to you. He'll bring the dead back to life. He will bring, he will give sight to the blind. He will preach the gospel to the poor. He will give evidence on which to base your faith. And at this point, John has fulfilled his part. He has. John can have done nothing more with his life and he has still finished his race. Because Christ has come. His job is to be the forerunner and he says, hey, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and his disciples, there's a moment, I think it's in John, his disciples are like, hey, um, seems like Jesus is becoming more popular than you. And John says, Absolutely. I haven't done my job if he's not, if I'm still more popular than that guy. So he's come to the end of his race. And God is going to bring him home. Now you and I might say, I don't like the way God brought him home. I don't like that at all. But here's what we get. We get to see John... Stand up for what is right, even when it costs him his head. We get to hear Jesus next week say, that's the greatest man ever born of woman. Ever born of woman. Greatest man. So the way 
to happiness is not to give in to your doubt. The way to happiness is to answer your doubts with the evidence that we have in Jesus. And sometimes that takes work and sometimes that takes time. And I wonder if we're brave enough and courageous enough to be willing to do that. Because the Bible says, that the moment you ask Jesus into your heart, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. So all the things that Jesus brings into that moment of your life changes your life forever. Your identity changes forever. So your doubts of your old life as they collide with your new life can be put to rest as we look to Jesus. Every single time. So, so never, 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 never let your doubts have the last word. If they truly, if they are truly doubts, then seek answers on which to stand. Find evidence. Follow the evidence to the truth. And then build certainty with the truth. That's the life that Jesus blesses. I'm going to end. I'm going to give you a sign. I didn't put it in your thought notes. Um, but, but there's this passage out of Jeremiah, two verses I want to give you. And I want to encourage you to spend time every day this week reading these two verses. Okay? I don't care if it's in passing. I don't care if it's in your car. I Just spend some time this week each day reading these two verses. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7 and 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. That was, I read it correctly, okay? Like, I don't want you thinking that I, I didn't read it right. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Are you with? There we go. Somebody woke up there. He's like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, does not fear when doubt surfaces, does not, is not concerned when life isn't turning out the way they expect it to. For its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. You can bear fruit in every single season of your life. The easy season, the hard season, and all of them in between. Good. It's the kind of people I hope we are. As a church, I hope we are people who can say, Father, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. He is faithful. He is good. He'll prove that to you. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. I'll make a couple things available to you. If you never ask Jesus into your heart.
no way to peace without him. There is none. And I implore you today to ask him into your heart so that we can celebrate death coming back to life. Maybe, maybe there's something going on and you need prayer. We want to we pray with you. We want to walk alongside you. There'll be a few people over here to this side as we dismiss. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you care about us. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you move amongst us. I thank you that so much of our life with you is remains a mystery. And it's in that investigating, it's in that walking that you woo us and you draw us out into the desert at times. And you speak tenderly to us. Father, I pray for our church that we would be a people who would not only praise you in the easy, but we would praise you in the hard. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.